we are studying the great victories of the Bible. And today we have a great one in front of us. It's going to be the story of the defeat of Sihon and Og, kings of Heshbon and Bashan. Um, that may not ring a bell, but actually the, the defeat of Sihon and Og has been a, a quite often referred to event in the Old Testament. And so today we're going, going to study it and we'll have an exciting time in the process. Here's the story. The nation of Israel, as you know, um, came out of Egypt and almost immediately had an opportunity to go into the promised land right away. Um, within a couple of years, that was a possibility with them. But they, they became fearful when the spies that went in to check out the land that they were about to conquer came back and said, you're never going to be able to do this. And so um, they, they gave in to fear and, and, and hedged and decided not to go in. And because of that, um, God said, I'm not going to let any of you go in. I'm, I'm going to take my people in. But those of you that had an opportunity now and, and didn't go for it, um, you're going you're gonna to pass in the wilderness. And then I'll take your children in. And that actually happened. So for 38 years, Israel wandered in the wilderness. And uh, until the last man, the last warrior, the last man of fighting age had passed away. And then God said, it's time. Now, there was another time clock that was ticking. And that was the time clock of the sinfulness of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. God had made it clear that um, he wasn't allowing his children to go into the promised land because they were so righteous, but it was because of the sins of the people who were living there. And God was allowing that uh, sin to get bad enough that he could punish it. It's not that um, he couldn't have punished it earlier, but there, there was a, a, a sin clock ticking as well. And that also um, had run out at the same time that the last warrior had, had died in the wilderness. And so um, this is an exciting time. And I'd like you to, to uh, read the words of God. These, this is from the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3. So let's, let's begin reading there. You have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now, turn north. So uh, just a a little uh, map thing. And if we could bring up our map, I'd like you to see that right away. So uh, in this map, we, we don't actually go further, uh, far enough south. I, I wish that it went all the way to the Gulf of Aqaba, which is an extension of the Red Sea. And that's kind of where they were. And um, they were down further south when God said, okay, you've wandered around um, in these hills long enough, now turn north. And so they're about to head up along the east side of the Dead Sea and um, uh, beyond that point, and, and you can see Jericho on the map. Eventually, they're going to cross the Jordan River at that point. But let's finish the story. Let's go back to our scripture. Give the people these orders. 
you are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. Uh, Let's talk about that for just a minute. And if you would, bring the map up again, and we'll come back to this. Um, So the relatives of Israel were the Edomites. And you can see Edom at the bottom of the map there. Another name for this region was Mount Seir, S-E-I-R. And so um, you see it referred to both ways in Scripture. These are the descendants of Esau. And as as you know, he was the brother of Jacob. And so there was uh, a family connection there. But they're passing through this area. And then you can see the land of Moab a little further to the north. And I'm not sure I see Ammon on there. Uh, The land of Ammon is just a little bit further north. But um, we're going to pick up the scripture again. Verse 4. They will be afraid of you. That is the um, Edomites, the descendants of Esau. But be very careful. Do not provoke them to war. For I will not give you any of their land. Not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. And isn't that a comfort to know that even though these Edomites were evil people, when when God gives something to someone, he gives it to them. And he wasn't about to allow Israel to take away any of their land. And he says this, as you go through their land, you are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. So um, as they passed through the land, they weren't to threaten them militarily at all. They were to stay on the road. If they um, needed food or water, they were to pay for it in silver. And uh, it was to be a, you know, a clean, honest um, passage through their land. Well, um, so they did. They passed through Edom. They passed through Moab. Moab was... Um, as you might remember, one of the sons of Lot and his daughter, this um, incestuous um, affair that the daughters um, imposed on their father. And uh, then Ammon was another of the sons of Lot through that same uh, instance with the other daughter. And uh, so they passed through those regions as well. And God didn't allow them to... um, to take any of their land or for any kind of conflict. And he gave the same instructions. If as you're walking through, don't touch any of their things. If you need food and water, pay for it in silver. And so they did that. They, they're headed north along the east side of the Dead Sea. And uh, they're paying for what they eat. They're paying for what they drink. And uh, that's not the end of the story. There's, there's more to come. And here's the rest of the story. Let's go to verse 24. Then they came to a point, and God said, set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. That would be the Arnon River. See, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. This very day, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. This is fascinating. 
So um, Sihon was, was well known in that part of the world as probably the strongest or at least one of the strongest leaders um, in that part of the world in his, his nation, his holdings, his, uh, the land that he owned. That, that nation was known to be powerful. And so God is saying to this nation who has had two military conflicts in 40 years, he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into conflict with Sihon, the most powerful king of this part of the world. And I'm saying to myself, God, could you ease into it a little bit? You know, uh, 40 years ago or 38 years ago, a little, little beyond that, more like 39 to 40 years ago, they had a conflict with the Amalekites and God had given them victory. And then nothing for 38 years until they were uh, attacked by a, a small nation called Arad and God gave them another victory. But that was it. And now they're, they're in a, they're, they're east of the land where they want to be, and they're facing this incredible foe. But this was God's will. And what he was going to do was put the terror and fear of them on the nations around there so that they would hear reports of them and tremble and be in anguish. We need to remember that. And we're going to pick up that theme a little bit later in the study today. So um, those were God's words. And uh, after those words were given, Moses did what he did with the other nations. He, he sent uh, a messenger to the king and said, we'd like to pass through your land. We will not touch any of your property. We won't um, bother any of the people. We'll pay for anything we eat and drink. And, uh, you know, what, what do you say? And so here's what I, Sihon had to say. Let's go on. Yes. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. Moses is, is telling this story to the nation of Israel later on, right before they went and crossed over into the promised land. So uh, thus the use of the pronouns here. Um, let me read it again. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he has now done. And so um, that was his, um, he was unwilling. And, um, you know, let's, let's put this into perspective. It says that the Lord your God made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate. It wasn't like Sihon was this compliant, um, God-fearing man and God turned his heart to be the opposite. No. Well, what God did was he made an already stubborn and um, oppositional man to God even more set in his ways. That's what it means when it says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, for instance. It wasn't that that Pharaoh was this nice ruler and God made him evil. No, he was an evil ruler and God just confirmed him in his evil ways and he used that to bring glory to his name. And that's what happened here. Sihon was a, an evil king and a very um, domineering king 
And uh, God just made him more set in his ways. Nobody's coming through my land. And he he's, uh, became even more set in that mindset. Well, um, when you're opposing God and you're pro- opposing his people, that's a bad idea. And here's what happened. When Sihon and all his army came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz, the Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we struck him down, together with his sons and his whole army. At that time, we took all his towns and completely destroyed them, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. And so um, Moses gives credit to God. They... They held the swords, they held the weapons, they engaged the enemy, but it was God that gave them the victory. Uh, I can imagine that if God had put fear in their hearts, which he said he was going to do, that that would have given Israel a greater advantage than if the opposing force had been confident, for instance. And so God was working on their behalf And Moses recognized that it wasn't us. It wasn't that we were so great uh, militarily. God gave us the victory. We, yeah, we held the swords. We did the killing, so to speak, but it was God who was giving us the ability to do that. Um, Let's pause for just a minute. Sometimes people um, have difficulty at this point in reading um, this passage that they left No survivors, men, women, and children, all were killed. And the assumption is that um, why why would God do something like this? Why would he kill innocent children, innocent women? You know, I can understand the men, but uh, why innocent women and children? God's plan in the conquest of the land of Canaan, and now in this region, even though it wasn't, technically in Canaan, um, was, was this very thing to completely destroy. The reason was that these people were um, very evil people who worshipped gods that were, um, they were the uh, creation of men, and as creations of men, they were uh, evil in their requirements. And so um, let's just talk for a minute about uh, Chemosh, for instance, who could have been one of the gods of that part of the world. Um, He was, I believe, the god of Moab and and, uh, might have been god of these regions as well, Chemosh. So um, one of the the acts of worship in worshiping Chemosh was child sacrifice, throwing your children into a fire alive. That was part of their worship. And um, their worship involved despicable acts of sexual orgy. Uh, There was nothing good or wholesome at all about these worship, uh, the worship of these gods. And God knew that if he allowed even a child to survive from these communities where that kind of worship was taking place, that eventually those people would lead his own people, Israel, astray, and they would find themselves worshiping their gods. I'd like you to look at 
a later passage in Deuteronomy where um, Moses explains what needs to be done when they move into the land of Canaan. And let's read 17 and 18 of chapter 20. So Moses gives this instruction, and this is from God. It's not his own instruction. He says, completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Those were the people groups that were inhabiting the land of Canaan. They were, um, uh, those were not necessarily the, na- the names of cities, but they were the names of groups of people, tribes, so to speak. Otherwise, and this is the key, They will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. And so that was the reason. God knew that if if they left even a single person, they would turn their hearts away from following God to worshiping these other gods or at least practicing these awful practices that they practiced in their worship. And you might say, well, how likely would that be? Well, case in point, how about King Solomon? What did he do when he married these foreign wives that he took for political reasons? And what did they do? This is a Solomon who is arguably the wisest man in the world, who gave the greatest worship experience of ever in Israel as they dedicated the temple, was so committed to God And yet his wives turned his heart away from God in his latter years, and he began uh, establishing these despicable places of worship in the land and worshiping that way himself. If that could happen to Solomon, what would happen to the average person? So God wasn't this uh, evil God who was, you know, killing innocent children. No, he was preventing more despicable things like that from happening among his own people. It was an act of grace that they were doing this. Okay, let's go on. There's a second part to this um, conquest that happens. We've heard about Sihon, and now we're going to hear about Og. Next, we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edri. The Lord said to me, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Now let's talk for just a minute. Og himself was um, a descendant of the Rephaites, who were giants. They were big people. We don't know exactly how tall he was or big, but we do know that he slept on a bed that was 14 feet long. That's a big bed. Um, measure your bed sometime when you go home. Um, most of us don't, don't even need all the length that we have. Now there's a few that do, and your feet are hanging over the end, but it's probably not a 14-foot bed. And so this man is a big man. He's the leader. We're not sure if there were other men in the army of that size, but you can imagine the kind of fear that that put in an opposing army to see someone of his size uh, coming against you in battle. And so um, this is a big deal. And again, Og, like uh, Sihon, 
was known in the region as being a mighty king, and his army was mighty, and uh, he was a, his land, it was a mighty power. And God says, the second part of this verse, do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. In other words, kill him. You know, kill him, kill his sons, his soldiers. And so the Lord our God also gave into our hands, ah, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down. Can you imagine how that happened? I, I don't know how it happened, but, um, oh, I bet the stories were told. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls with gates and bars, and there were also a great many unwalled villages. This was no small deal. Um, the, the taking of every single village, and listen to what they did. We completely destroyed them, as we had done with Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, men, women, and children. So this was, this was a big deal, and uh, they took care of him. Wow, what an amazing, amazing victory. And this for a nation of people who had fought two battles in 40 years. And God, God gave them the victory. That's the key. They held the swords, but God gave them the victory. Now, um, let's just be honest. Probably there was some military training somewhere along the way. Um, I'm sure that Joshua had uh, seen to it that there were um, that there were uh, there was a fighting force that could uh, hold up their end in a battle, but uh, still you don't you don't win battles by fighting two battles in 40 years. It's just like um, you know if you're a football team and you've played two games in the last 40 years. And then you're going out on the field against, against the best team in the league. What chance do you have of winning? And so uh, this is a mighty victory for God. And it's also a mighty victory for Israel. Okay. Why did God let, uh, let Israel fight these two incredible battles? Let's talk about that for just a minute. He knew that if these kings and their kingdoms were defeated, not just defeated, but destroyed, it would put utter terror in anybody they faced in the region beyond the Jordan River, to the west of the Jordan River, where they were going. And so he strategically had them face these incredible foes because he knew it would help them in the long run. Sometimes God allows us and even arranges for us to fight big battles in our lives. And we're saying, God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to face this thing? Can I just mind my own business and worship you? And why do I have to face this thing that I'm facing? And God is wise and he knows that 
a mighty victory in the thing that you are facing will do great things for his kingdom and possibly even for you in things in your life down the road. I'd like you to consider something that happens a little bit later. As you know, uh, the nation of Israel eventually uh, took possession of these two kingdoms and uh, there were two and a half tribes that decided they wanted to stay on that side of the Jordan River. And so they were given that land as their own. Uh, The tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh were given land in that area because it was very good grazing land. And so um, their women and children uh, were were housed in those cities. And then the fighting men joined the rest of Israel in crossing the Jordan River. And their first, their first um, fight, so to speak, was with Jericho. Jericho was a, an incredibly uh, stout, walled city, um, impregnable in many ways. Um, in archaeological ar- discoveries of that city, there were, there were two walls, um, an inner wall and an outer wall. And uh, it was a formidable thing. Um, So uh, that was their first um, goal, to defeat Jericho. And Joshua had sent some spies to check out uh, Jericho. The spies had um, gone to a prostitute's home by the name of Rahab, and she had housed them. And before they went to bed, the first night, they had this conversation. I'd like you to read this with me. She's talking to the spies before they lay down uh, for the night. And she went up on the roof. Let's read verse 9. And said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So here's what happened. Um, word, word in those days traveled quickly, and it was not over um, electronic means or lines. It was, it was word of mouth, but it passed quickly, and everybody heard about what happened when Israel crossed the Red Sea. Everybody heard about what happened just over the Jordan River. Everybody in Canaan knew that the Israelites had not only defeated, but destroyed the kingdoms of Og and the kingdoms in the kingdom of Sihon. And so for them, they became extremely afraid. Their hearts melted in fear. For Rahab, something else happened. She became a believer. Look at what she says in verse 11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above, and on the earth below. She heard about what God had done, and she became a believer. And so 
a double thing is happening here. Some, those whose hearts were open, became believers like Rahab. And others, those opposed to God, just became fearful beyond measure and lost in battle because of their fear. Just a word about Rahab. I love the story of Rahab. She became a believer and she married a Jew by the name of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the man who married Ruth, you might remember from the story of Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth had a son whose name was Obed. Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son whose name was David, king of Israel. And David was the line from which Jesus was born through Mary and even Joseph. And so what did God do through uh, the defeat of Sihon and Og? He, he made it easier for Israel to win victories when they went into the land of Canaan. The only time they ever lost a battle in Canaan was when they had sinned and disobeyed the Lord. And strangely enough, it happened at Jericho. They were told to put, um, to take nothing for themselves, to destroy everyone, um, to put everything under the ban. And a man by the name of Achan kept back some things. He kept back some, some precious metal, and some clothing. And because of that, when they went out to their next battle, they lost the battle when they should have won it. That was the only time they lost. And they learned their lesson. And they began following God's plan. And they won every battle. And so God, um, he won a great victory through the defeat of Sihon and Og. But he won even greater victories through the conversion of Rahab as she heard about what God had done. And through the battles that were won in the land of Canaan that allowed the nation of Israel to settle into that land and make it their own. God was able to fulfill his promise to them. I don't know the kind of victories that God wants to work in your life and in mine, but he wants to work some mighty victories. But in order to do that, we will have to face some mighty foes. And we can't do it in our own strength, but we can do it in his. I'd like you to, to uh, remember this verse as we close today. It's from Zechariah 4, 6. And uh, God is speaking to uh, Zerubbabel, who had a huge task of rebuilding the temple. And uh, this is what he says. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you won't do this in your own strength but you can do it in mine. Let's pray together today. God, some of us are facing an insurmountable foe right now. Some of us will face some very difficult things in the days ahead. We don't want to face those things. We would rather have an easy life. 
But God, may you be glorified in the victories you win through these foes that we face, these Sihons, these Ogs that we face. Oh God, may you win the victory by your power, by your might. May people hear about it and may they be drawn to you like Rahab was. Or may your enemies hear about it and tremble. And uh, may we be victorious for your sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you. God bless you.